0: shit places a story by sky oddsley part 3 chapter 12 the annoying thing about Super Nintendo was that Kyle had already beaten every game there were no more surprises which made the interim levels boring knowing how everything would eventually end eliminated all suspense. The only thing keeping him half-interested as the pixelated duo of Riggs and Murtaugh entered the docks of a marina with their guns drawn and yellow cones of lamplight lining their path was Matty's knee brushing against his own as they sat beside each other on the carpet. Now you keep bumping me, he said shoving her with his elbow where'd you get those jeans anyway they smell like a trash can they're riley's Maddie said nearly forgetting she was still wearing her boyfriend's clothes i was gonna do some cleaning and didn't want to ruin my dress cleaning kyle scoffed you were gonna clean something without being told to I think that's how growing up works, she said, taking a lead between two yachts. I don't know. I had a thought today that kind of freaked me out, and for some stupid reason, I thought that distracting myself with a cleaning project would help me forget about it. That is really stupid, Kyle said, firing at a jet ski coasting by. Cleaning never fixes anything. Whatever you just try to clean just gets dirty again. It's pointless. You're not wrong, Maddie agreed. But that's another thing that freaked me out. Dad's not gonna take care of us forever. You know that, right? Yeah, I know, Kyle grumbled. But then where am I gonna live? That's what was worrying me, too, Maddie said. I don't want to just go from Dad's house to Riley's house. It makes me feel like Mom or something. Kyle paused the game and pulled off his hat, shaking his head. You're not like Mom, he said. You're not a selfish asshole. Who taught you to say that, Maddie asked nudging him. Dad, Kyle confessed, frowning. Back on your 16th birthday, after dinner, when you'd left with your girlfriends to stay at one of their houses, I came out of my room super late at night. I think it was almost 3 AM. Dad was still up, sitting at the kitchen table, smoking a cigarette inside the house which was strange. I went to the fridge to get some orange juice, and he just kinda stared at me, almost smiling but not really smiling. It looked more like he'd been crying. I asked if he was okay, and he just looked at me for a long time, smoking his cigarette and ashing it right onto the floor. Then he said, No, I'm not okay. I wish your selfish asshole mother was here right now. Creepy, Maddie said, shivering. I didn't know me going to that slumber party made him so mad. I don't think it was that, Kyle said, putting his hat back on. I think it was something else. Well, I don't want to turn out like our selfish asshole mother, Maddie said, taking some enjoyment in the swearing out loud. And that's why I left Riley's house. I knew if I stayed, I'd find fault with anything, and then just run off like she did. So what did you do instead, Kyle asked. Maddie bit her lip thinking about the note she'd left. Shit, she said. That's exactly what I did. Chapter 13 Riley was under the big white Cadillac when he heard the familiar click of high heels scraping along the concrete floor of the shop. Wanda had no reason to drop by, though she rarely did. Her husband's brake lines wouldn't be ready for a few more hours, plus it wasn't scheduled to be picked up until early morning. Riley stayed put and drew in a breath, his upper body hidden beneath the car, a heavy wrench in each hand, grease smeared across his chin, beads of sweat standing on his forehead. Maybe for once Wanda wouldn't pick on him. Maybe today she'd finally go after somebody else. Plenty of the other guys wanted her attention. Lou was begging for it. Romero had no restraint. Ace was a natural flirt, and although Clint had a wife and kids at home, his eyes still wandered every time. Wanda's big rump swayed by. Laying there with his back on the cold stone floor, Riley could sense all the other mechanics looking up from their oily work to watch Wanda walk in. But he could tell from her determined stomping that she was headed right for him, as usual. Click, clack, clack, one heel toe after another, until the sound got so close that he could taste it in his mouth, taste the plastic shine of her fancy leather shoes. Then the footsteps stopped right at his knees. Riley's tight jeans and unlaced boots always gave him away. He wondered how long he could stay hidden like this, playing dumb. Wanda cleared her throat, her subtle way of announcing herself when being ignored. But Riley closed his eyes and thought of Maddie wrapped in his arms only an hour earlier. He thought about the curve of her upper lip and the smell of her hair. But then Wanda hauled back and kicked him hard in the legs, her not-so-subtle way of getting his attention. "'Out, boy,' she barked. "'Quit hiding under there.' "'Riley slid out from under the car, "'but just tossed aside his wrenches, "'not looking up at her as he grabbed a rag "'and wiped his fingers. "'I want you to read it to me,' Wanda ordered, "'handing him a crumpled piece of paper "'with a trembling hand. "'Riley's relationship with Wanda,' had many layers. It sprouted branches, grown roots through a decaying foundation, and just in the last year had become quite a tangled mess. The big white Cadillac he was fixing belonged to Wanda's husband Bob, the town's mayor and head pediatric physician. Although Bob took care of sick babies, He was by no means a saint. Several of the toddlers he cared for were his own illegitimate children. And aside from adultery, his other hobbies included gambling with city funds and driving drunk. But his wife, Wanda, was even worse. Although her husband's bad habits were accepted common knowledge, her demons were the kind a woman had to keep hidden. Her affair with Riley had begun when he was only 16 years old, and she was entering her 50s. It happened quickly, like an unwatched fire. Four years ago, Riley had just been assigned to give her Pontiac a tune-up. But then she'd asked him to go for a drive in case the check engine light came on again. Then she'd pulled the car over by the old baseball diamonds on the edge of town and climbed onto Riley's lap. Wanda had the kind of body that made situations like that escalate in her favor. Plus, it hadn't been Riley's first time rounding the bases. Was it special? Was it lovely? Was it gentle? Was it warm? None of the above. It was the opposite of lovemaking. The kind of act a person resorts to when they've given up on love and all they want is to be touched and tasted. What made it such a mess was not just Wanda's marriage, although that'd been the only speed bump at first, but since Riley had met Matty, he'd had a severe change of heart about the whole affair and had already tried his best to end it with Wanda. But she wouldn't listen to him. And now this note she held in his face was another addition to the pile. Written proof of all the wrong they'd done. Who'd do you pay to write this for you? Wanda asked, scolding him. Was it Romero? None of these other idiots here look like they can spell. Tell me you didn't write this. It was a letter Riley had written and tucked under her windshield wiper earlier that week. He'd actually written it a month ago, but hadn't mustered the courage to deliver it until he'd seen her car parked outside a beauty salon. The letter outlined a lot and confessed a few held secrets. The main one being why he'd been avoiding her lately. It talked about their differences and about his growing affection for someone else. It praised Wanda as a lover and a friend and assured her none of it was her fault, but ended by saying that things could not remain the same between them and that he hoped she understood. Riley looked at the paper in her hand, still able to recite every word of it in his head. it taken him days to write wanting to sound as direct and honest as he could without being rude. And it was plain to see that by marching into his job and kicking him, Wanda did not understand his side of things. Is this a game? Wanda asked, lowering her voice. Are you playing with me? Riley climbed up from the floor and carried the rag to the back of the shop. Wanda curled her nose and followed him as the other guys in the shop exchanged glances. There was a high rack of tires by the back door, and as Riley stood there wiping his filthy hands, Wanda grabbed him by the arm and pulled them both out of sight. Then she shoved him against a wall, leaning herself into him. My Pontiac is still running, she said, her cool, green tea breath dampening his chin. Let's go for a drive, huh? I didn't mean to get so upset. Now she was back to her normal self, running her hands over his chest and arms and whispering seductively. Reading makes me angry, she confessed. Pressing her breasts against him and touching her nose to his. So does talking. You know that. Let's just go for a little drive. I need you right now. It was always the same. That's how shallow this all was. Riley could have written anything in that letter, and Wanda would have still just brushed it off and jumped his bones. He was nothing but a tool to her. Like a wrench, he was just the correct size for the job, and now nothing else would do. I know how you feel, Wanda teased, one hand moving over his crotch. I have to lay in bed with that drunk ape every night. We all tell lies to get by, baby boy. I'm no bimbo. I know there's lots of other girls out there that want to go for rides with you. But I'm the one you need to keep your eyes on, okay?" Riley just stared at the row of tires behind her. He'd already said everything he could in the letter. Apparently there was no easy way to do it. I can't anymore, he said moving her hands off of him. Wanda smacked him across the face so hard that a few nearby mice shrieked and ran. You go get in that goddamn car, she ordered, pointing her sharp fingernail at him. I don't care what you can't do. You're gonna do what I say. No more talk. No more letters, no more of this. The Pontiac is making a strange noise. Now go get in it, and I'll tell Foreman you're checking it out for me. Take Romero, Riley shrugged. He's better with older models. Don't get smart, she muttered, crumpling up the note and shoving it down his pants. You want your new girlfriend to know about us? The gals at the salon told me who she is. She's that sparkly one with the lonely father. They live in that blue house on the gravel road by the high school, right? Young thing, isn't she? It's cute how you take after me. Robbing cradles. Wanda's hand returned to his crotch, but gentler this time. I tell you what, she said, keep her. Marry her for all I care. But unless you want her to know about our little baseball games, you better get your ass in that car. Riley looked at his boots. But go wash your hands first, she said, and tell Romero to keep dreaming. Then she fixed her collar touched her hair, and stomped off to Foreman's office. Riley used the sink and left out the back, not wanting to get hazed by the guys. He rounded the building, kicking through the brush and trash in the back alley. Wanda's red Pontiac was rumbling low and actually making a strange sound like she'd said. But rather than popping the hood to check it out, he just climbed into the passenger's seat to wait for her. Hopefully this wouldn't take long. The Cadillac still needed work, and now he had another letter to write. This one was going to be even harder. Chapter Fourteen Roy didn't get too far with the red-headed flight attendant. He'd asked her point-blank to fuck him in the plane's tiny bathroom, and, well, that didn't go over too good. They were mid-flight, so she couldn't exactly have them escorted off, but she'd gotten pretty angered by the proposal and had even given Bill his own earful as he'd stood beside Roy in the narrow aisle, handcuffed to the old creep. After being ordered back to their seats by a different flight attendant and cut off from any more snacks or beverages, the rest of the short flight had drug on rather slow. Bill was mortified, his face red as a tomato and buried in his free hand. Roy had fallen silent as well. Rejection always hurt a little, the way it always had. But eventually they landed and were promptly kicked off by the captain before the other passengers had even unbuckled themselves. The flyboy jackhead also took the liberty to rough Bill and Roy up a bit on their way through the jet bridge, kicking them in the calves and heels as he shoved them along. "'Wait here,' the pilot ordered, slamming them behind a desk at the entrance gate. You two perverts are going to have a long talk with the police. Stay put, assholes. Then the pilot pulled out his radio and turned his back, stepping aside to let the other passengers exit the plane. Run, Run, Roy whispered. Are you insane, Bill whispered back. We'll get arrested. "'I hate to break this to you,' Roy said quietly. "'But we're already getting arrested.' "'No, you are,' Bill snapped. "'The minute the police show up, I'm telling them everything, and these cuffs are coming off.' "'They'll still take you downtown,' Roy said. "'You'll spend the night in jail.' "'Says who?' Bill scoffed. "'Says me,' Roy replied.' eyeing him. Look, if we don't go down for making that freckly prude feel attractive for once in her life, they'll book us for the drugs. What drugs? Bill asked, glaring at him. The drugs I stuck in your little red bag, Roy said. Back when I was putting my own backpack together, I stuffed my stash in with your shit. My pipe is in there, too and some weed. Well, a lot of weed, actually. Probably enough to get a felony charge. Are you serious? Bill almost yelled, trying to not raise his voice. Damn serious, Roy said, scratching his eye and glancing to see where the pilot had gone. The fact is, our bags are still on that plane, and when the cops get a hold of them, We're both going down. Even if I take the fall, you're spending at least the next two nights behind bars. Bill stared at the carpet. The crowd of passengers was getting thick, and the pilot still had his back turned. Now's our chance, Roy said, nudging him. Bill thought about Margaret about how she'd run off once and was now running off again just to hurt him even more. Life was so cruel and unfair. He looked at the cuff around his wrist feeling like he'd done all of this to himself. Don't be afraid, Roy said, consoling him. Being afraid gets you nowhere in life. Just get angry instead. Bill grabbed Roy by the sleeve and pulled him to the floor, pretending to tie his loafer. Right or left, Bill asked. Which way do we run? Roy read a few signs on the walls and pointed to an arrow for the food court. Take a ride up there, Roy said, motioning to the escalators. Then we take those down a level. We'll have to play it loose from there, but don't worry. I have a plan. Bill didn't want to think about what he was doing. He just wanted to feel it for a minute. That rush that comes from breaking the rules. Without even hesitating, he grabbed Roy by the hand and took off running, shoving a few people aside and leaping over a row of chairs. Roy followed beside him, close as a shadow, not slowing them down at all.
1: For an old
0: man, Roy suddenly had a distance runner's stride. By the time the pilot noticed they'd fled, they were halfway down the escalators and out of sight. Get the fuck out of my way, Bill shouted, pushing his way through the crowd. Take a left, Roy yelled, grabbing him by the arm. This way. They landed in the food court and bolted into the first restaurant they could find. No doubt the pilot and police were close behind by now, but thanks to there being no host and hardly any customers, Bill and Roy dashed through the place's empty dining room and dove behind the bar, crouching to not be seen from the lobby. The bartender was up on a ladder, putting bottles of wine into a high rack on the wall. He hadn't noticed them enter. "'Follow my lead,' Roy whispered, nodding to the swinging kitchen doors. All these airports are the same. We go through there, and we're going to find a back service hallway. It connects all the shops for deliveries. If we can get through that kitchen, we'll be out of this airport in less than five minutes. I'll handle this, Bill said, straightening his collar. Just follow my lead. They crawled to the doors and stood up. Hiding their shackled hands behind their backs and entering slowly. Two cooks were chopping vegetables, and a third man was staring into a big floor mixer, tossing in handfuls of flour. All three of them looked up as Bill and Roy entered. Hello there, Bill announced with a nervous smile. I'm Carl Santiago, and this is my partner, Abraham Moscovia. We're with the health department, here to check the dates on your frozen chickens. The three cooks didn't give a shit. One just pointed to the back coolers with his knife, and then they all went back to what they were doing. Bill and Roy galloped past the dish line and through the pantry to a door marked Employees Only, kicking it open before slamming it shut behind them. For once, and perhaps only once, Roy hadn't been lying. Now they were in an empty service hallway following the exit signs and running as fast as they could almost too fast for the security cameras to get a clear shot of them. One lonely guard was supposed to be watching the footage from his command office, but he'd gotten distracted by pornography on his phone and hadn't looked up in time to see the two fugitives blaze across several screens. A minute later, Bill and Roy were barreling down the final stretch to a door marked, Fire Exit Only. Just ignore the alarm, Roy huffed, almost out of breath. But watch out for bushes. This is Arizona. Everything is a fucking cactus. Bill wiped the sweat from his eyes and kicked the door open. Sunlight blinded them, and the sound of the alarm stabbed them in the ears, but before they could pick a way to turn, Bill screamed as he lost his footing and tripped down a rickety fire-escape staircase. Roy grabbed him, tangling their arms and legs into a knot as they flew over a broken railing and landed in a bed of cactus bushes two floors below. chapter 15 a fly had been living at the rattlesnake for almost a week a long life for a fly but after the third day of buzzing everywhere it could the kitchen the bathroom the beer cooler it grown bored of the place landed on the wall to the right of the bar and stayed there ever since, not seeing a reason to look any further for an escape. There, among the yellow floral patterned wallpaper, it crawled in circles, weaving between the printed vines and leaves. Days had passed like this, just killing the time by looking around with its five eyes not making much sense of itself or its surroundings. But at least things were amusing. And here to the right of the bar no one noticed the fly, so no one swatted at it like in the kitchen. And unlike the crowded bathroom, there weren't any other flies around to bother it and make it worry over its social status. Here On the wall, it could just wait out the time until it died, taking life in one heavy slurp at a time. The fly rubbed its face and looked toward the stage. Then it noticed a white-haired man seated at the bar, staring up at it. At first, this guy had been watching the stage. But then he'd shifted in his stool, sitting himself more upright, perhaps to shake off an unpleasant thought. And that was when the man had noticed the fly and begun to stare. The fly stared back, petrified and immobile, hoping the man would not blow its cover. It pressed its tiny chest to the wall and tried to further tuck in its wings. Pat had just finished singing her first song of the night, and the fly guessed from the man's face that the man didn't like the song all that much. Or maybe he liked it too much, because his eyes had begun to water. The fly still couldn't bring itself to move. If it did, It might get smacked dead, but if it didn't, how long would this staring charade go on? The fly's face began to itch. But suddenly, the man spun in his stool and returned his back to the wall, disregarding it and picking up his beer. Then he rested one elbow on the bar and the other on his knee watching Pat write down a few more names. You got fruit flies, the man yelled to the bartender, pointing at the wall behind his head. The bartender, Bruce, came over looking already exhausted by the guy. That's not a fruit fly, Bruce grumbled, dumping out an ashtray. That's just a regular fly. They're everywhere, buddy. "'Okay, then,' the man shrugged. "'Remind me not to order the soup.' Bruce nodded at the beer the man had bought for Pat, a pint of Coors Light that already settled flat and wasn't getting any colder. "'You gonna deliver that beer?' Bruce asked. "'Or are you gonna make her come get it?' "'Doesn't look like she needs it just yet,' the guy said." and she's got a full one up there. Well, you must not know her that well, Bruce remarked. When it comes to Pat, no beer is ever full for long. Bit of advice, take it to her now. Once that group of kids start singing rap songs, her mood is going to degrade and she won't feel like talking to nobody. "'Good looking out,' the man said, "'sticking the giant's cap back on his head, "'grabbing the beer and offering a handshake. "'I'm Dennis, by the way. "'Just rolled into town.' "'Bruce,' said Bruce, "'reluctantly shaking his hand "'and motioning to the man's hat. "'Rolled in from San Francisco, I take it?' "'Nah,' Dennis said, "'adjusting the hat and scratching his head. Maybe I could have said that 20 years ago, but the truth is, Burbank is as Californian as it gets for me. You look familiar, Bruce said. I can't place it, though. Yeah, Dennis admitted, sounding embarrassed. One of those teenager TV talent shows had me on a few times last season to judge kids hacking their way through my old-ass songs. And unfortunately, I'm signed on for the next season as well. I thought that was you, Bruce whispered, respecting the guy's discretion. You here to get Pat on that show with you? She still sings just as good as she used to, but she's saltier than ever these days. You ought to hear her rip some of these karaoke singers apart. Well, good for her, Dennis said glancing at the empty microphone. Maybe so. He left another dollar on the bar and carried the drinks across the littered area between his stool and the stage, almost spilling on one of the young boys as he climbed around their big table. Then he sat the Coors on the carpeted pallet and plucked a pen from a plastic cup on the speaker. I liked that first one, he said casually, not looking Pat in the eyes as he wrote down a song request on her notepad. I couldn't have sung it better myself. Though you often tried, Pat said plainly, picking up the beer off the floor and taking a long swig. Then she belched and chugged the rest of it down in one gulp before handing him the empty pint back. "'You owe me a lot more of those,' she said, pointing at the glass. "'Get me something fancier if you're buying.' "'It sure is good to see you,' Dennis said, playing bashful. "'Is it?' Pat asked sternly, cutting right through his act. "'I take it you'll remember who I am,' Dennis said." ignoring the jab. Fuck no, I don't, Pat shrugged. I didn't really know you then. I thought I did. But then it turned out I didn't. I ain't known you since. So what is there to remember? I wrote that song for you, Dennis said, pointing at the microphone. The hell you did, Pat argued lowly. I wrote that song. Just because you played your little guitar over my poetry doesn't mean you wrote shit. Let's not start where we left off, Dennis said, rubbing his eyes. Listen, I'm in town to see you. How you been? Well, you're seeing me, Pat said, motioning to the dumpy bar and NASCAR posters. And this is how I've been. What else, he asked resting a heel on the rickety stage. I don't have time for this shit, Pat said, glaring into his eyes for the first time since he'd abandoned her. Dennis was a sad old man now, a skeleton of skin nearly dead. But he still had his fancy rings and those turquoise eyes to match them. It sure looks like a handful, Dennis said, glancing around at the young crowd and filthy floor. I didn't mean to bug you at work. Well, then what did you mean to do? Pat asked, crossing out the song request he'd just written down. I thought maybe we could talk, he confessed, lowering his voice. You know, about the, uh, beer. Pat interrupted, snapping her fingers and not looking up from her notebook. Go get me another beer, free beer man. I'll be back over to the bar soon enough. Just go wait your turn like everybody else. Dennis stepped away, satisfied with their first talk in all this time. Pat hadn't changed much at all. Looks-wise, she'd been run through the ringer a few times like himself, but not much else was different. He sat back down at the bar and swatted at the fly, but the bug didn't flinch. Perhaps it was dead. I'll take whatever expensive beer you got, he said to Bruce, sliding him the empty glass. And another of the same for myself. Chapter 16 Wanda came out of the front of the mechanic shop and put on her sunglasses before looking around. She didn't give a shit who saw her, but she liked to keep track of who that might be. Riley slumped down in the passenger seat, covering his face as she climbed behind the wheel and pulled out of the lot. They rolled through town and took a right into the outskirts park. It was a nice day out, but it was nearing suppertime in their sleepy town, and the jungle gyms and basketball courts were all empty. They reached the old baseball diamonds, and she parked behind a backstop, but left the car running. You've got a loose belt, Riley said feeling the putter of the engine through the dashboard. I should have brought my tools. You brought the only tool I need, Wanda said, tossing her purse into the back seat. Now loosen your belt. She reached for him, but he repelled, turning away and pulling off his raider's cap. "'We should really talk,' he said, staring into his lap. "'I can't do this anymore, Wanda. "'I'm in love with Maddie.' "'Wanda sat back and glared out the windshield. "'Talking wasn't really her thing. "'I'm not going to give you any advice,' she said, "'sounding hurt. "'If you want to know the truth,' I've never really liked anyone, let alone loved anyone. I think love is delusional. You're young, and sometimes things can seem bigger than they really are, harder than they really are." She squeezed his thigh, the back of her manicured hand laced with wrinkles. A lot of times it feels like we have to choose, she said, one or the other, this or that, to stay or go. Then she leaned in, kissing him on the neck. But all those things involve other people, she whispered, moving her lips to his earlobe. But the good times. The fun times. Those are just you and me. Our little secret. Riley was a tough kid. He killed spiders with his bare hand, welded exhaust pipes without a mask or gloves, and had survived several raccoon bites. But Wanda's hands and mouth always made him feel like a little boy. She was so direct and strong, holding him just like she wanted while lecturing like a teacher. It had been a thrilling kink at first, but now, with his guilt, her touch felt more like chains sliding over him and locking in place. As her hand moved up his leg, he swatted it away and opened his door, jumping out and slamming it shut. He stuck his hat back on and pulled out a cigarette, walking around the backstop and entering the baseball field as he took the first drag. He looked at the treetops, figuring this would be his last smoke before Wando ran him over. But he stood there with his back to the puttering car for several minutes, and nothing happened. The diamond's bases had all been pulled up out of the sand, and three holes surrounded him as he climbed atop the pitcher's mound. Then he turned and looked back. Wanda was crying. He'd never seen her cry before. He'd only seen her get angry, and then quickly turn that anger into lust. But she looked completely broken, sobbing behind the wheel with a trembling hand over her eyes. She was wrong. Love wasn't a delusion. It was very real. And like all things human, it had its good parts, but it could also be very cruel. Perhaps life had been unfair to Wanda. Or maybe it was all her own fault, but getting back in the car and apologizing wasn't going to fix anything. All Riley could think about was Maddie. If Maddie were crying like that, he'd do anything to fix it, but Wanda looked like she needed to cry a bit. Plus, she wasn't crying about him, only about herself. There was no comfort for tears like that. He finished his entire cigarette just watching her through the chain-link fence and windshield. Occasionally, she'd look up at him or over at the trees. He figured at some point she would just drive off, but the car remained there, rumbling and sputtering. That loose belt would snap for sure. He tossed his smoke down and stomped it out in the dirt already regretting what he was about to do. Wanda watched him approach her door but feigned otherwise blotting the corner of her eyes with a handkerchief and scowling at herself in the rear view mirror. Riley knocked on her window. It took her longer than it should have to roll it down and when she finally did, She said nothing. Instead, she just grabbed her purse from the back seat and dug through it in a huff. Look, Riley said, kneeling beside the car. I don't really know what to say. You don't have to say anything, Wanda said, snorting in a tear. The last thing I need is to talk to a child about my problems. If I wanted that, I would have had kids of my own. You're just a dumb, selfish boy. That's what all men are, just dumb, selfish boys. And now you're dumping me for a younger woman. It's so predictable it makes me sick. Riley, you know me. I don't like anyone. But all of me head to toe, I gave you. I let you touch me, kiss me, hold me down. You're too young to understand this, but that takes a lot for a girl to do. We're fragile beings. Nothing that you said in that letter hurt me. It's what you didn't say. It's one thing to read that there's someone else. I'm old. I know there's always someone else, but with you I finally had someone else. But now you want her and, well, no one wants me." She broke down crying again, digging for the handkerchief. "'It's not like that,' Riley said, uncertain, but feeling he needed to say something. "'It's exactly like like that, Wanda said, touching her eyes in the mirror. Go ahead and try to make something up right now. I've heard it all before. I went to college, you know. I was pretty damn popular with the crew team before Bob drugged me out of Chicago and brought me to this shithole town. Tell me you don't want to hurt me. Tell me you wish the timing was better. Tell me You're not ready for anything serious. Tell me I'm perfect, but you're so badly flawed. Or do me one better, if you feel you've actually got something to say. Tell me the truth. Tell me what she's got that I don't have." Riley looked across the empty park and spat. She makes me happy, he said. I think about her all the time and just feel excited and lucky. Riley looked up and Wanda was staring at him, breathless. Well, she said after a moment, stuffing the handkerchief back into her purse. That's funny, because I was just going to say that about you. "'I'm sorry,' Riley said. "'It's just... "'Save it,' she barked, interrupting him. "'Just get in the fucking car. "'I'm driving you back to the shop, and you'll never see me again.' "'Listen,' Riley said softly. "'Shut up,' she ordered, fixing her makeup. "'We're through, Greaseball. It's over.' I'm leaving you." Riley suddenly felt relieved. If thinking this whole breakup was her idea made Wanda feel better about it, then she could have at it. But a tinge went through him as he rose to his feet, thinking about never getting to touch Wanda again. Which stung a little. Wanda was awful fun to touch. Had he just made a mistake? Riley's head ached at the thought that this day was only half over. He still had to finish Bob's break lines and then execute the even more intricate task of confessing this whole affair to Mattie. After already enduring this much crying, he knew writing another letter wasn't the best plan. He'd think it over once he was back under the Cadillac a place where he always did his best thinking. And by midnight, he'd know where he stood, either up shit creek without a paddle, dumped himself and likely trying to win back Wanda, or at peace with the past and entering an honest, loving relationship. He wished he could see Maddie now and get it over with, but he'd left his phone at the shop. He climbed in the passenger side and buckled up, feeling even more like a little boy. Wanda put the car in reverse and threw an arm around the seat, looking back over her shoulder. But then the engine popped and died and black smoke began to seep up from under the hood. Fucking seriously, Wanda groaned, cranking it back into park and loosening the bun in her hair. That's your radiator hose, Riley said, rolling down his window and studying the hissing sound coming from the engine. Belt might have snapped too, but you just blew a hose for sure. The thermostat must be out. Well, Wanda said with a bobby pin in her mouth, letting her gold and gray hair tumble over her eyes. Can you please quickly fix it? I've already been gone long enough. That moron of a mare thinks I'm at the travel agent. Get out there and do whatever you gotta do to get this thing moving. We need a tow, Riley shrugged, reaching over and twisting the keys out of the ignition. Without a radiator hose, this thing will overheat and might blow. Just spare me, she snapped, wrapping her hair back up. I'm not in the mood for a lesson in auto mechanics right now. If you say it won't run, I trust you. But just shut up about it. Now get out. What? Riley asked. Aren't you going to call the shop for a tow? Yes, she said, pulling out her phone. That's exactly what I'm doing but you're not going to be here when they come pick me up you're walking back but that's miles from here Riley scoffed look the toe won't cost you anything I'll even fix all this myself once we get back but I can't afford to walk back to town right now I still have a lot of work to do you're acting as if any of that is my problem she said coldly, touching up her mascara. The tow will certainly be free, and so will the repair. But if you think I'm letting Romero show up in that tow truck and snicker at us parked back here like a couple of high schoolers on prom night, you're sadly mistaken. But Romero already knows we left together, Riley whined. And so does Foreman. They'll be here in less than ten minutes. Please, just call them. I'll call them when I'm damn ready, Wanda said. And it should only take them nine minutes, because you're pushing this damn thing back to the park entrance. Riley closed his eyes. Put it in neutral, he muttered, opening his door and climbing out. That-a-boy, Wanda said, discreetly pressing the brakes, as Riley braced his chest against the smoking hood and began to push. It was a tough shove. Wanda's voluptuous derriere, contently sitting in the driver's seat, only added to the weight of the old sedan. Before the basketball courts were even in sight, Riley had broken a sweat, his damp shirt clinging to him. But after a half hour of grunts, and stopping over and over to relace his boots, the big car finally crested the uphill path back to the entrance and began to gently roll on its own down to the front gates of the park. Hit the brakes, Riley called. I already was, Wanda said, steering in reverse and bringing it to a stop. Then Riley once again knelt beside her door, pulling off his hat. Did you change your mind about making me walk, he asked. Did you change yours about leaving me, she asked, sincerity in her tone. Riley just chewed his cheek. Beat it, kid, Wanda said, handing him her handkerchief. I'm gonna miss you. Riley took the gray silk scarf and wiped the sweat from his face. Then he tucked it in his back pocket, rose to his feet, and walked off down the side of the road. Chapter 17 Bill and Roy staggered along the shoulder of the desert highway, both of them stuck with cactus thorns and burnt from the Arizona sun. they had already been walking for two hours, but they walked on, holding out their thumbs and not saying a word to each other. Apparently, no one was in the mood to pick up a pair of handcuffed strangers. All the cars just blasted by, some even laying on the horn or swerving to the opposite lane. This was the first trip Bill had been on without the kids since his honeymoon. He hoped this wouldn't be as memorable. Thankfully, he still had his wallet, but the rest of his things were back in the plane, likely being rummaged through by the police. Roy, on the other hand, was just as penniless as when they'd met, but looked even more so now after ripping up his shirt and pants in the tumble. Plus, a snake had bitten him on the arm, and now that arm was beginning to swell as the bite mark turned black. Bill was impressed that Roy had refrained from complaining about it for this long. You ready to take that shit yet? Bill asked, dropping his thumb and shielding his eyes from the sun. Afraid not, Roy said. My stomach sure is upset, though. Feels like I got a rock in there or something. Bill looked up the road. There was no skyline in sight. Are we going the right way? Bill asked. I still haven't seen a sign for Phoenix. Where the hell was that airport anyway? We're in the desert, Roy said. No man's land. Even the places here ain't much place at all. Just keep walking. We'll get somewhere eventually. We're not here for sightseeing, Bill argued. I need to get to Phoenix today. Our first priority should be to stay alive, Roy said, inspecting his arm and scratching his chest. And the second one should be finding a drink. I want to argue that this is all your fault, Bill said, dragging Roy along behind him. But now's not the time. I see a semi coming. Act more hurt, all right. Maybe fall over or something. Bill stepped out into the road and began to jump up and down, waving his free hand in the air at the approaching truck. Roy grabbed Bill by both sleeves and yanked him back onto the shoulder just as the semi flew past, almost running them over. They stumbled back, falling over the guardrail and down into the thorny brush several feet below. Aw, hell, Roy muttered plucking a burr from his forehead. "'What a maniac!' Bill griped, writhing on his back. "'He was going to hit us!' They helped each other to their feet, brushing off their shoulders and knees. Then Bill noticed a shimmer in the corner of his eye and turned, squinting. "'Over there!' he yelled, pointing west. "'Oh, thank God!' Those are buildings. I can see them now. This road probably curves at some point, but if we cut across this patch of sand, we'll save a lot of time. Roy looked, but couldn't see a thing. He had very poor eyesight to begin with. But in his poisoned haze, everything just looked like glowing yellow. It's probably a mirage, Roy said. But fucking go for it. We shouldn't be on this highway when the sun goes down anyway. I'll follow you, Bobby. Bill grabbed Roy by the hand and pulled him along. Soon their shadows lay stretched across the pale, dusty ground, and they'd cut the distance to Phoenix in half. Never thought I'd need a camel in my life, Roy huffed. Sure could use one now, though. "'Something feels different about the air down here,' Bill said, his mood improving. "'I don't know if it's just me or if the air is actually lighter.' "'It's just you,' Roy said. "'You're dehydrated. "'Save your breath for when we get to a bar. "'I sure could go for a margarita right now.' "'I wonder what she sees in this place,' Bill said.' his delirious, glassy eyes scanning the horizon. I mean, Hawaii? Sure. Montana? Big Sky Country? I get it. But here, everything just seems so... barren, Roy said, finishing Bill's thought for him. Empty. Bleak. Dried up. A lonely armadillo waddled across their path, heading south. Roy studied the little armored rodent, smirking to himself. "'It's kind of like that fellow,' Roy said, pointing to the thing. "'When pushed hard enough, even the best of us curl up into what we really are and hide. "'If someone ran off to a shit place like this, well... I'd say they likely never knew nothing but shit places. I suppose you're right, Bill said, not wanting to fully analyze the idea. I guess I'm lucky she didn't wind up in Russia. I would have had to pack my snow boots. You'd chase this woman to Russia, Bill asked. I'd never do a thing like that, not even if she owed me money. "'Well, this isn't just any woman,' Bill said. "'It's my wife, and she owes me a lot more than money.' "'Is that right?' Roy asked, "'only half listening now as he inspected his oozing snakebite. "'What else does she owe you?' "'An apology,' Bill said, stopping to kneel beside a rock. "'He reached into a dry fern,' and pulled out a half-full plastic bottle of Mountain Dew. "'Well, we're a long way from the mountains,' Bill said, rising to his feet and handing it to Roy. "'Here. You drink it. I'm okay for now. "'I think we only got a few miles left.' "'Thanks,' Roy said, twisting off the cap.' They entered Phoenix as the sun was setting. The sky had turned the color of damp denim, the dark clouds like stains on piss-soaked jeans. The town was nothing to look at as they hopped a third guardrail and crossed an empty two-lane highway. On the other side was a ditch, and beyond that was a shopping mall parking lot the size of ten football fields. "'Watch your step,' Bill said, easing them both down into the ditch. His loafer sank into warm, ankle-deep water, and he stumbled, grabbing a frail branch and breaking it loose. Roy said nothing, climbing over the little stream and helping Bill out of it. They climbed through pebbles and bones, fallen feathers, and fast-food straw wrappers. Up and up the side until the white streetlights lit the tops of their filthy heads, and at last they reached civilization. A million parked cars and billboards for where to eat. Take a left, Roy grumbled. I say we stop at the mall first, Bill said. I can at least buy us a bottle of water. No time for that, Roy said. This place is one big old folks' home. It's likely the bars all close early. I need a drink, goddammit. Just hang on a sec, Bill argued. Let's just pop in and use a vending machine. I'm dying, man. No, you're alive, Bill said, holding out his rotting arm. I'm the one who's dying. Plus, I don't think that squarehead would like the cut of our jib. Roy pointed across the lot to a security car parked with its headlights on. Best keep our distance, Roy said. I'm sure all the radio jockeys are looking for two dumbasses handcuffed together. Keep a low profile, would ya? Let's just climb back in that ditch and take it around till we see more signs. I got a better idea, Bill said, looking further down the highway at a tall, glowing, neon cactus? Let's get a margarita. Chapter 18 After each teenage girl at the Rattlesnake Bar had mumbled their way through a different 90s ballad, the group of boys all got up to sing Bohemian Rhapsody together. Pat seemed relieved by the chance to take a break during the long tune and immediately climbed off the stage as the first verse began. She used the restroom, taking her time to touch her hair and lips in the graffitied mirror above the sink. Then she pulled open the door and headed for the bar. Bruce was already waiting for her by the popcorn machine holding a funny-looking bottle of beer and an empty wine glass. "'What in the crap is that?' she asked, taking a handful of popcorn and shoving it in her mouth. "'It's Belgian,' Bruce said, reading the bottle's label as he poured some. "'Whatever the fuck that means. "'This shit is twelve bucks a bottle. "'Neil Young over there bought it for you. "'I think you're supposed to drink it out of a wine glass like this.'" That's not Neil Young, Pat said, taking the beer from him and tasting it. I know, Bruce said. It's that guy from your old band, isn't it? I saw him on that awful talent show not too long ago. So did everybody else, Pat grumbled. And so did I, thanks to Matty always wanting to watch it at my place. I bet they pay him good money to give all that bad advice. If those L.A. kids wanted a solid tip, I'd tell them first thing to not listen to a thing that man says. He ain't shit. I smell an old flame burning, Bruce said, glancing down the bar. Celebrity like himself pulling off to a dive like this just to see you? It's awful romantic if you ask me. Awful is right, Pat said taking another long drink and wiping her mouth as she noticed Dennis watching her. That's just his way. He likes to build you up so he can shove you down. Maybe he's changed, Bruce shrugged. It's a good thing you got that big wiener, Pat said, trying to read the beer label herself. Because Bruce, my little stud muffin, You are dumber than shit. People don't change. They just get old and full of regrets. That doesn't make them any different. Just sadder is all. I love you too, Bruce said, playfully sneering. You better hurry. This song only has ten minutes left, Missy. What did I say about calling me that, Pat lectured. Bruce put up his hands and walked away, leaving the bar to clear off tables as more school kids arrived for drinks. Pat picked up her fancy glass and walked over to where Dennis sat, waiting for her. You get three questions, she said, not taking the empty stool beside him and only leaning against the bar instead. Where's our baby? Dennis asked, getting her direct drift. Couldn't tell you, she said. I don't know where people go when they die. Dennis looked at his knees. I'm sorry, he said, brushing his pant leg. How'd it happen? I never had it, Pat said, lying to him. I didn't want your baby, so I took care of it. "'Don't worry. I'm not going to ask you for any money, either. "'I'm sure you're tired of that.' Laszlo back in Vegas said otherwise,' Dennis said, "'slowly spinning his beer bottle. "'Are you sure you never had that, kid?' "'Are you sure you want that to be your last question?' Pat asked. "'I already told you you only get three, "'and that's the third one that I've heard.' "'You listen here,' Dennis whispered, growing upset. "'I knew where to look if I needed to find you. "'After last season, I rode up to see Laszlo on the Strip. "'Of course, by then, he'd moved downtown, "'but I asked around enough, and I found him. "'He said he'd put you up for a bit, "'but that you'd come back here to your aunt's place "'on account of some grandkids needing looking after. "'Tell me.' What reason would dumb old Laszlo have to make up a story like that? Well, Pat said, lighting a cigarette. A better question is what kind of way is that to sum up someone's life? Especially someone you pissed inside and then dumped off at a truck stop. Yeah, Laszlo found me some gigs for a while. And yeah, I blew him for it. But I never had your ugly baby. Some drummer just knocked me up when funds were low. But it's nice to hear you knew where to find me, seeing that you never really tried. It ain't got nothing to do with you, and neither do I. I don't know you, and I don't care to. Now get lost. You're killing my buzz, Dickless. Your TV show sucks, and so does this pussy-ass beer. Pat slammed the rest of the ornate glass and then handed it to Bruce as he returned behind the bar. Pour me something American, she said with a burp, and put it on this asshole's tab. It's nice to hear you sing, Dennis said, nodding for Bruce to pour her another. You always were the talented one in the group. Well, it's about time you said that, Pat agreed. You're not wrong. Time is a funny thing, Dennis said, looking back toward the fly on the wall. Don't get philosophical, she grumbled. The 70s are over. No one cares what you have to say about anything. I guess I'll have to sing it to you then, Dennis said, raising his bottle in a toast. Any chance of getting a spot up there tonight? Pat stared into his eyes. He was still handsome and just as charming, playing it cool the way he always had. I don't mind writing it down again, he said, smiling, but don't cross me off this time. You're up next, she said, giving him a suspicious sideways look. You still do duets, he asked, nudging her. Don't push your luck, she said, taking the beer from Bruce. Then she turned and walked back toward the stage. Dennis watched her rear, lifting the bottle to his mouth and swatting at the fly. In the 60s, Dennis's vocal delivery had a necessity over flair quality. The words were never his own, so he sang them as such. His glinted fingers sliding up and down a guitar fretboard had been his main voice, his left hand dancing as his face hung motionless behind the microphone, using just his eyebrows to accent every monotone word. But in Blue Wave's prime, he'd been young and naive, His beard and long hair had given him the appearance of a life lived hard, as the band's lyrics suggested. But he'd only been a talented musician then, playing the role of a haggard, lonesome poet. But now, Dennis was an old man. Pat had no clue what kind of life he'd lived in getting there, and she had no intention of asking. But as he climbed onto the small carpeted pallet and pulled the microphone from the stand, cradling it beneath his chin and squinting over his shoulder at her, she could tell that he'd changed somehow. Perhaps he'd finally become the defeated artist California now considered him. Maybe after decades of live shows, he'd actually learned to sing from the heart. But what it really looked like was that he'd just accepted his performance flaws and now used them as charisma. Like someone's half-drunk father about to deliver an off-the-cuff wedding speech. Everyone in the bar couldn't help but stare. Figuring they were about to hear a really shitty version of Suspicious Minds, or even worse, my way. "'How do?' Dennis said to the murmuring crowd. "'It's been a while since I done this.' "'This isn't open mic night,' Pat said from behind her machine. "'No banter allowed.' Her jab got some laughs, and Dennis smiled, scratching his eye as the song he'd picked out began to play. Pat was impressed. Watching him sing this new, careless way of his, it was remarkably sexy, and his restraint only made the words more personal and powerful. Pat had sang a million songs and watched a million others sing a billion more, but she'd never heard this song on her little stage before. It was a popular hit from the early 80s, but just by waiting a beat longer between the lines of the verse and keeping the chorus in the same key rather than raising it, Dennis had rearranged the upbeat number into a much darker version, highlighting its message of loss. And regret. Pat almost teared up and quickly grabbed her sign up book, covering her face with it and scribbling down a line of gibberish and a few rounded doodles. Dennis had become a great singer. No guitar needed. Maybe it was just this song that he'd perfected. Maybe he'd been singing it for years. Pat hoped so. She didn't want it to be one he'd been holding in, waiting to sing just for her, which was exactly what he was doing, and exactly how it sounded. Then, to add to his sudden charm, he reached over the machine and took Pat by the hand, pulling her out on stage with him during the long saxophone solo before the third verse. You know this one, Dennis whispered, covering the mic with his palm. Sing it with me, would you? He lifted the mic between them and smiled. Pat glared at him, trying her best to look annoyed. But a few bars later, when the moment arrived, she sang along. The Rattlesnake was not the worst bar in town that title belonged to pork pies across the train tracks where you could catch the clap just by using the bathroom. But the rattlesnake wasn't much better aside from having functioning light bulbs and popcorn made sometime that week. The karaoke was popular, but more so the underage drinking was what paid the bills. Rarely a performance got more than some hoots and hollers but when Dennis and Pat's song ended, the whole place erupted in cheer. Then Dennis suddenly grabbed Pat by the shoulder and hugged her as some of the teenagers rose to their feet in a standing ovation. Let's hear it for your host, Pat, Dennis yelled into the mic, still holding her by the hand. But Pat pulled away, blushing as she wiggled back behind her machine to discreetly wipe her eyes and fumble with her notebook. "'They want one more,' Dennis whispered to her, cupping the mic again. "'Let's do an old Blue Wave number for him. What do you say?' "'I say sit your ass down, you old fart,' Pat said, flipping the page of her sign-up book. "'No one here even knows who Blue Wave is,' They don't want to hear another song. Now get down and let the next person up. Dennis turned to the crowd, sweeping out a hand like an auctioneer. "'Who here wants another song?' he asked into the mic, as if he were on camera. "'Folks, me and Pat haven't shared a stage in over forty years.' Pat grabbed the karaoke machine's power cord and yanked it from the wall, unplugging the whole device, microphone, background music, and all. The bar suddenly fell silent except for Bruce, who had turned on a faucet to fill a sink. I said, get down, Pat said after a moment, not looking up from her notebook. You can sing again when it's your turn. Then she reached down and plugged the cord back in, and a Van Halen song whirled to life, breaking the stiff air between them. Dennis stuck the mic back on the stand and climbed down, scratching his neck in embarrassment and shaking off the laughter from the crowd. He plopped back down at the bar and peeled off his hat, turning it in his hands as the next singer took the stage. "'Sounded all right,' Bruce said, tossing him a napkin. "'But like I said, she can get testy if you push her.' "'I suppose that's the best I'm going to do,' Dennis sighed, fidgeting with the baseball cap some more and not looking up. "'One last song is better than I deserve, I suppose.' Then he stuck the cap back on his head, finished his beer, and threw down a $20 bill. "'Here's for the kind service,' he said, getting up from his stool. "'But do me a favor, and give that fly over there a day off. "'It looks like it could use a vacation.'" Bruce scooped up the cash. "'Thanks,' he said. "'Safe travels, Mr. Rockstar.'" Dennis coughed out a laugh and turned to leave, but then a hand took him by the elbow, and spun him around. It was Pat. Somehow her mood had softened, and behind her teary scowl, Dennis could sense she was studying his eyes for the truth. So you're leaving again, she asked. It's like that, is it? You roll through a familiar place, drop in on a familiar face, sing a song, and then run away. You haven't changed at all, have you? You were about to leave without even saying goodbye, weren't you? I didn't exactly feel all that welcomed, Dennis grumbled. Pat wiped her cheek and smiled, although she looked much more hurt than happy. Every man needs a personal invitation, she said, and then they need to be the center of attention when they arrive. I'm over here minding my own business, living the remains of my own damn life, and I gotta stop what I'm doing and applaud you for being a successful person that miraculously remembers my name? I don't think so. I didn't come here for a lecture, Dennis said, putting his hands on his hips the same way he did back at band practice when they would argue. He hadn't changed one bit. All that was missing was his long hair and tunic. Then why did you, Pat asked, now yelling to be heard over a group of kids singing gin and juice? We all make mistakes, Dennis said, as if it were a phrase he'd just invented. Not everything happens at the right time. I had a duty to the rest of the group, plus I knew you and the baby would be better off without me. I could stand here and list every excuse I've come up with over the last handful of decades, but I see now that you're still too upset to hear me out. I was wrong about you, I guess. I thought you'd make it on your own, that Blue Wave wouldn't last without you, and that you'd land a solo record deal and leave us all in your dust. And you thought that would happen by leaving me broke and pregnant in the middle of Nebraska? Pat asked. That's some plan, asshole. I was born on a farm, Dennis said, crossing his arms. Here we go, Pat said, taking a stool and signaling for Bruce to pour her another beer. This one again. I worked day and night for my old man, Dennis continued, beginning his same old defensive monologue. Bailing hay, you name it, I done it. Fingers to the bone. Sweat so hot it evaporated right off my shoulders. Sun up to sundown, Sunday through Sunday. The kind of labor they only make prisoners do these days. In every muscle straining moment in those fields, I had one goal in mind to save up enough for a guitar and a one way ticket out of that hellhole and you know what I did? Now, Bruce and even a few others at the bar were leaning in to hear the story. That's just what I did, Dennis said, lifting his chin and puffing out his chest. Bought my first Dan Electro at 16 with a sack of silver dollars and paid my bus fare to Detroit with what was left. I taught myself every chord and scale on that overnight ride, wrote my first three songs, too. And when I landed in the city, with nothing but my boots for a place to stay, I walked right into that radio station and landed a recording contract. If you want something, you have to go for it. Ain't nobody going to help you make your dreams come true, but you. Pat had heard this story several times before, and she was surprised the others hadn't because Dennis had delivered this exact speech on that dumb TV talent show more than once. But the most annoying part was how Dennis tactfully left out that the farm he grew up on was his father's ranch in Canada. The biggest one in all of Ontario. A trillion-dollar estate that employed half of the Providence. While Dennis might have thrown a few hay bales for a family photo, he'd never even driven a lawnmower. His first of many guitars had been a Dan Electro, but it'd been paid for by his parents, his Sweet Sixteen birthday gift, along with an amp and drum set. And he also never liked to mention that a private music college in Detroit was actually where he learned to write songs, not in the back seat of the limo that took him there. This motivational speech of no handouts had impact on the dumb and vulnerable, like these idiots at the bar and the kids on that show, because the way he said it, you just wanted it to be true. But Pat knew the real story because he'd confessed it to her after the third time they'd made love, lying in the back of his van at an outdoor concert. In that tender moment so many years ago, he'd revealed to her what he really was, just a rich kid trying to make it as an artist and prove to his folks that music was the next big business to invest in. Sadly, that's why Pat hadn't been too worried when she'd become pregnant, figuring Dennis could provide for them even if the band fizzled. But then he'd abandoned her and taken his money and dozen guitars down the road. Still, he was the hero of the moment. Even Bruce looked impressed by the tall tale. I guess you're right, Pat shrugged discreetly playing into his lies. Anything that's my fault is just that, my fault. I ain't never been one to teach blame pushing. I hear you on that. I could have made it like you did, maybe even better, but I guess I just didn't want it as bad as you did. It was just a dream to me, never a reality. I should have listened to you more. Well, it's good you're at least listening now, Dennis said, his face a smug grin. But I didn't come here to teach. The free lesson is over. Then he waved off Bruce and the few others who'd been hanging on his every word and took Pat by the arm, leading her over to a corner by the front door. I came for you, he whispered seductively, running his fingers over her collarbone. Let's not fight. Let's just fuck. Pat looked at his eyes as Dennis looked at her breasts. It wasn't ideal, but it was something new for a change. She drew in a breath and glanced at the stage. Wait here, she sighed, letting him cup one of her boobs before slowly removing his hand. My Mercedes is right out front, Dennis said with a wink. One last ride for old time's sake? My flight doesn't leave until morning. But my wife's at the hotel, so we'll just have to do it in the car if that's all right. That's fine by me, Pat said, tossing her hair. Wouldn't be like old times if it wasn't in a car, I suppose. You're still the devil, Dennis said, grinning like a beaver. Come on, let's blow this dump. I'll meet you out there, Pat said, slapping him on the butt. Go get it started for me. It's already warming up, he said, kissing her on the cheek and then sliding out the front door with a tip of his cap. Pat turned back to the bar. Bruce and everyone else was staring at her, waiting for the juicy details. I'm going on a little run, Pat announced, finishing her beer and elbowing a woman beside her. Bernadette, can you take over hosting while I'm gone? I'll only be an hour, maybe less. Bernadette knew how to run the machine, but her eyes were awful bad, and she wasn't the best at reading the sign-up sheet and song requests. "Uh, "'Sure, I guess,' Bernadette said. "'Can I sing one myself?' "'Sing your heart out, girl,' Pat replied, slapping her on the back. "'Just don't let anybody spin the microphone cord like last time.'" "'Gotcha,' Bernadette said, climbing out of her stool.'" into her walker and scooting toward the stage, dragging her wheeled oxygen tank behind her. You're really gonna fuck that dirtbag, Bruce asked, leaning over the bar and giving her a fatherly glare. Oh, I'm gonna fuck him, Pat said. Hand me my bag, would you? Pat pointed to a leather purse on the floor behind the bar. A tote she kept stocked, for this kind of spontaneous scandal. Mouthwash, some weed, perfume, condoms, all that. Bruce knew the bag well. Well, hell, Bruce said, picking it up and handing it to her. See if you can get me another 20 bucks while you're at it. I'll take what I can get, she said, zipping the bag open and then quickly zipping it closed. Then she got up and headed out the front door, almost running. Bruce poured a beer as Bernadette took the stage, shouting into the microphone for everyone to shut the heck up. He couldn't remember a time when Pat had seemed this excited. It was strange, but like the jackass from TV had said, at least she was getting what she wanted.